0: Just a little uh, message here before we start the episode. I wanted to tell you all something. No, I don't think I'm funny. Happy April Fool's Day. Here's your episode. I actually don't think I'm funny. Hello and welcome! As you can already see, the beginning of this episode is slightly different from what I normally do, since I'm not reading out the back of the book. This is because I only have a physical copy of the book in German, and I don't think it would help you if ever read that out. I have listened to the book on audiobook, on script, which I have talked about last episode, and um, so I I have only one scene that I have written out and going to read out, which is slightly different from what I normally do, but we'll still have a few points to talk about. So let's get into the book. The book we're talking about this week is Clockwork Angel, which is the first book of the Infernal Devices series, not the Dark Artifices series, like I have sadly made the mistake to say last episode. It plays in London of 1878, and we start off in the prologue. To be more precise, it is April 1878. And we meet a character called Will, who is, um, and I can already tell you that he's killing a demon and that is because he's on patrol with his Parabatai gem. I've explained what well, the Parabatai is in this month, I think first episode, but to revise for anyone who hasn't listened to that, since admittedly the quality was a bit less than it is now, since I'm trying to make it better. A Parabatai is a magic bond that you have with another person, You only can form it till a certain age, and you are linked through runes. So you help each other in the fight, the um, runes that this person gives you are stronger than the ones you receive from others. And things like that. You are basically like brothers, like family, but even closer, or sisters if you want it that way. Siblings. So Will kills this demon and is very happy about it, because apparently he did it very skillfully with just one strike. Uh, but he did get hurt and is asking for a Iretzi, which is a healing rune from a p- specific person called Charlotte that we will meet later. So, then we kind of continue through the prologue but with Will searching for Jem, who has kind of vanished through a fight. We will meet him in a moment. And he is uh, thinking about glamour. I have also talked about glamour time and time again, this kind of a magic spell that protects you from being seen by others and he talks about how it is weird to be there but people are looking through you and sometimes he likes to mess with these people and um, see them flailing around looking for an attacker that is not there but he has been scolded for that so he is not doing that now he walks into an alleyway after getting called over by Jem and then we meet him his full name is James Carstairs He is, we will get uh, the scripture later on, but I can already tell you, he's half Chinese. He has um, white hair, and normally he would have black hair, and I'm going to get into why he has white hair and white eyes later on, because it is very important about his story. But uh, for now, we just learn that he's half Chinese. He is from Shanghai, we learned that later. And uh, he is a very... Calm man, and not like his personality, but they cancel each other out well. Anyway, he has found the that that body of a girl that can't be older than about fourteen. She was, and they found the um, weapon too. She was stabbed with a knife that had two snakes engraved into it and a handle of polished bone. The two snakes I want you to remember because from now on I'm only going to call it by the name it has, the Eurobus. It is a certain sign of something and apparently she wasn't killed there but dragged there while the demon that will had killed earlier was chasing her the demon was a shucks demon and those are kind of brute parasites so normally they lay eggs in the skin of the people they chase down which is why will and Jem, will is by the way called William Herondale um, which is why they know that he hasn't killed her, because normally he would have kept her alive to put his, well, eggs into her, which is frankly disgusting. So they talk about planning to investigate that, and then we leave off for the first chapter, after learning that Will wants to kind of lead the investigation, and that he wants to find out why the robust is there, and which probably has to do with humans who dabble in magic, which is not a very smart thing to do, might I add. And um, with the last sentence, Will smiled like Lucifer might have smiled before he fell from heaven. I like that because it is poetic and it kind of tells us something about Will. He is kind of similar to Lucifer sometimes. Uh, from then we leave off for chapter 1, which starts with the introduction of Teresa Gray gray with an e so you have to miss misspell gray to get her name which is so annoying sometimes anyway she uh, is talking about this locket she has called a clockwork angel which of course is the title of the book and she has got it from her mother that has that di- that died uh, with her father in a carriage accident when tessa was about three it is kind of It is kind of a tiny statuette made of bronze with a a sword that was made into a locket. Nobody knows how the clockwork inside still works and her brother gave it to her after uh, finding out that it still worked. But uh, she has never taken it off since she got it. She is on a ship currently from New York to London after her aunt Harriet has died to live with her brother Nate. She uh, arrives at Southampton, awaiting her brother Nate, because he has sent her a ticket and told her that he is going to pick her up there, but he isn't there. Instead, a man with a kind of weird, rough skin tells her uh, that Nate has sent him to get her, and they arrive, so she of course has no idea why she shouldn't trust this man, So they walk to a carriage and a woman looks out. She's wearing an enormous plumbed hat that hit her face and another woman comes out after her. So these, I can already tell you, are the dark sisters. They are very important. One is tall and thin with a bony pinched face and colorless hair who's wearing a dress of violet silk and violet gloves. Important thing to remember, they always wear gloves. And the other one is kind of... Small, plump, with small eyes and a pink dress. So we can already see there are a few stereotypes here because, as their name has probably told you, they are evil. I can already spoil that. As always, spoiler warning for everything. And they're called Mrs. Dark and Mrs. Black. The tall one is Mrs. Dark and the small one is Mrs. Black. They are sisters and they kind of tell her that Nate sent them too and that they are her his landladies, they have a note written by Nate, so Tessa trusts them. And written on the side of their carriage is the Pandemonium Club and the golden Eurobus. Now of course we have heard of the Eurobus before, but we have also heard of the Pandemonium Club in this month's first episode, because I have mentioned it as being the club that Simon and... Um, tend to go to so she gets into this carriage and that is kind of where we leave off and the next time we see her again is six weeks later at a house called the dark house so this is kind of the part where I, where I summarize kind of the beginning of the plot and then get broader by chapter and at the end of course it's always my review i'm just Because this time I'm starting so uh, abrupt into it, not like normally, I just want to tell you that again, since this is kind of an out-of-order episode. You know why I'm doing it, I think I put it in a note last episode, but, well, anyway. So, Tessa is in that house, called the Dark House, and a housemate, Miranda, tells her to come down and see the Dark Sisters. This is apparently normal, because she tells us that this happens every day. But we also learn that if Tessa doesn't obey Miranda, she drags her down the stairs till she is with the dog Sisters, no matter how much kicking and screaming Tessa does, which is basically abuse. She is held prisoner there, and uh, the only kind of thing she has to keep her company there are the books that I'm going to explain why the Dark Sisters gave gave them to her. And she writes letters to her brother, still hoping that she will see him again. She hides these under her mattress and they are a plot point later. But um, yeah, so everything in general is kind of uh, for her brother. So she endures that in the hope to see her brother again because they have told her that they are holding him prisoner. And um, so she is hoping to save him. They've kind of showed her a ring of Nate's, that kind of proves to her. Yeah, we have him. And it's just all she's being a loyal sister. Then down in the office, after um, walking through countless stairs, we reach the cellar where the basement where the office of the dark sisters lies, and we find out why they are holding her prisoner. They um, because they give her a bow of pink fabric. And kind of tell her to change, and by that they mean they wanted to turn into the owner of the bow, because Tessa is a shapeshifter. She did not know that, and they she has been there for six week they, weeks, and they have been kind of teaching her how to turn into these people and keep control of that and use her power. So they give her the owner, they give her the bow, and want her to turn into the owner, which she does, even though it hurts very much and just in general she's often describing it as needles pricking into her skin after she is turned and things like that is it is a very cruel process but if she doesn't obey obey they will kill her brother and if she succeeds for so for example the first time she successfully turned they gave her gifts uh, like for example these books which is why she has them because books are kind of her biggest passion and just in general, books are an important plot point throughout the book because most of our main characters love books, which is very relatable for me. So they ask her to turn into this this person and it is a little girl called Emma, Emma Bailey. When she's finished turning, she also has the memories of the person and it is kind of as if their spirit has taken over Tessa's body and can speak through her. But she looks and sounds like them. And yeah, for anyone who knows Harry Potter, it's kind of as if she would have taken a Polyjuice potion, but also her voice and memories and everything. So she doesn't just look like the person, she basically becomes the person. The Dark Sisters talk to this little girl, Emma, and we see that this is apparently the girl that Gemin and Will have found in the beginning, because we uh, she tells us about... The knife she was stabbed with repeatedly and we learn a bit about her life and her death. So the Dark Sisters want to know if she's dead. The uh, memories end at her death and with that the transformation also shatters like glass. That is how it's described. Which is again, sounds very painful and probably is very painful. Also Tessa's dress is now full of Emma's blood so we see these... Transformations also kind of have an effect on her. So, for example, there was one time she had to turn into a person, a woman who was shot, and she thought she was she had been shot because she had these vivid memories, and they had to they had to calm her down because she thought she would have she was the one who had been killed. But uh, yes, so they're happy. The just does kind of seem happy that emma is dead which i mean she's a little girl who would have wanted her dead and this is this talk then disregard tessa and talk about a certain person that is very important throughout this whole book series called the magister so they are talking about molding tessa's clay for the magister because they describe her as clay since she isn't really Apparently isn't really her own person because she can be everyone. They also call him the master. So we also learned that Magister is a different word for master, which Will tells us later on. So tomorrow or tonight, they want to introduce Tessa to the master after making her presentable. That means getting her into a nice dress and things like that. Miranda take uh, is supposed to take her back to uh, her room. To get her ready like dresses and wardrobes and everything like that and Tessa is kind of wondering why they would want her to look pretty if she can turn into everyone they want her to turn into so she has to have something of the person but then she can be everyone also Miranda is something that we now learn about she always seems kind of robotic she's never startled or surprised by every by anything Never answers any of Tessa's questions. Now, you could say she's a good servant, but I would call that robotic. So, uh, Tessa asks her then who the Magister is, and for once, she does answer the question by telling Tessa that he's a great man, that Tessa will marry him. Now, Tessa, of course, doesn't want to marry some random dude that she doesn't know, so she takes the globe that is on the sister's desk and hits Miranda with it. But, and this is where, again, her robotic side kind of comes into play, it doesn't bother her. So, even though half her face is smashed in, there is no blood, Miranda still appears the same. I can tell you, she is, in a way, a robot. So, this will be revealed later on. Tessa reaches the entryway, and the front door is open, which is... Which doesn't seem normal, so it kind of seems too easy. She runs outside, asking a stranger to help her. But, as I said, it was too easy. The stranger turns out to be the driver of the sisters, and he grabs her and takes her back inside. There, the sisters tie her up to the bed, belittle her, threaten her brother yet again, and tell her that the Magister wants to marry her and give her everything because of her talent and of what she is, because of her shape-shifting. They also tell her that the Magister, um, not only will will he give Tessa everything, but in a saying, in a kind of way that you just say, I want to give you everything, but that is like money. But uh, she can really ask for everything. Like for example, her brother's freedom. The only thing they think she can have is um, their death. So she wouldn't be able to ask for the sister's death since they have a contract. And if she, But if she runs again, so they are under the strict... They are on the strict... Um, The Magister has told them that they are not to harm Tessa because he wants her in perfect state. But if Tessa runs again, they will whip her her till her skin rips off, which is very brutal. And yeah, Tessa does want to kill them in this moment, which I think is relatable. The ropes are also kind of cutting her circulation and she thinks about giving up, maybe the ma- Maybe the Magister isn't so bad and really wants to give her everything. She could be happy. But uh, in the end, she doesn't really believe herself with that. Wishes for a better talent, like for example setting things on fire or shrinking, because then she could escape. But uh, she remembers that she can turn into someone again if she has vivid enough memory of it and has done it before. So she turns into the small girl called Emma from earlier, she's kind of important, so just remember her name, Um, and suddenly the rope is loose around Emma's little hands, and she rips herself free, working on the knots on her ankles, and then shakes Emma off, finally free again, at that point we also kind of, at that point and earlier, we get a description of how Tessa looks, so she has long brown hair, grey eyes, and she kind of looks, um, she looks like a prisoner a bit, that's what I've It isn't said outright, but that's what I've kind of concluded, because she looks tired and as if she's not getting enough to eat and things like that, so not really special or anything. So someone starts to open the door and she thinks that it's the sisters who someone knew that she's escaped. So, and this is one of the first instances where we see Tessa, well, no, actually the second she had the globe earlier where we see Tessa actually being willing to fight, even though she says that women aren't supposed to fight, when she learns that in the Shadowhunter world, women also wear uh, these kind of gear and fight demons. So she takes a porcelain jug and hides behind the door and lunges it at the person coming in. The person moves away, but she hits the arm, and then when light is shed into the room, we learn that that it is a boy about... Around her age, dressed in kind of leather ensemble with weapons on his belt. And he has a shining light stone, which is called um, a witch light. It's kind of a magic stone that shadow hunters have, so they don't use electricity, but they use these lights. Mm, She describes them as, of course, beautiful, with tangled black hair, eyes like blue glass, elegant cheekbones, a full mouth and long thick lashes. He looks kind of like... Every fictional hero she's ever imagined in her head, and of course he's British. She's in London, of course he's British. She asks if he's the Magister, but and some people will have already concluded that it is William Herondale who we have met before. They banter for a bit. Be- for a bit, so for example, he jokes around her lo- a lot, just as his aunt- ancestors will later do. Jace, I can. It is a big, big spoiler for the model instruments, but he's related to Jace. So he asks her, do you often sleep tight to the bed? And they talk a bit about books and he thinks of jumping out the window but then decides to leave through the house because he will probably survive it but Tessa could die when they, if they were to jump out of the window. The door cannot be opened from the inside but with his steely, and that is the first time where Tessa really sees uh, that he is not a normal human with his stely he draws an open rune And they run through the house while Mrs. Dark and Mrs. Black chase them and screech because they see that Tessa is missing. They can't leave through the door because the house is surrounded by carriages. And uh, so they decide to search away through the basement where we have been earlier already. This decision is followed by more banter. And here is the only kind of scene that I've written out because I like how... Even though they don't know each other, it already shows that they will probably get along in a certain way later on. So, um, it is apparently very hot down there in the basement, which we have learned earlier too, but I haven't talked about it. So, tes- so Will says, by the angel, it's like the ninth circle of hell down here. So, by the angel is referring to the archangel Raziel, which they all... Who they all descend from and is kind of a square down there. It's like saying by God or what what the hell or something like that. The ninth circle of hell is cold, Tessa said automatically. Will stared at her. What? In the inferno, she told him, hell is cold. It's covered in ice. He stared at her for another long moment, the corners of his mouth twitching, then held out his hands. Give me the witch light. At a blank blank expression, he made an impatient noise. The stone, give me the stone. The moment his hands closed around the stone, light light blazed up from it again, raying out through his fingers. For the first time, Tessa saw that he had a design on the back of his hand, drawn there as if in black ink. It looked like an open eye. As for the temperature of hell, Miss Grey, he said, let me give you a piece of advice. The handsome young fellow who's trying to rescue you from a hideous fate is never wrong. Not even if he says the sky is purple and made of hedgehogs. He really is mad, Tessa thought, but didn't say so. She was too alarmed by the fact that he had started toward the white double doors of the Dark Sisters' chamber. So she tells him to go another way and he again tells her to not uh, that he's not wrong because he's trying to rescue her. So he's kind of... Uh, Joking idiot in that scene, but he does help her. So they navigate through the house a bit more, and she asks whether he is come, whether her brother has sent him, but he hasn't ever heard of Nate or Tessel. And we find out that Will was still following the trail of little Emma's death, and the Eurobus has led him to the Dark Sisters because I've mentioned before that was on their carriage, and it is the uh, kind of sign of their club. He mentions also the Downworld but doesn't explain it what it is. Of course we know what it is because I would, um, if for anyone reading these now, I would recommend reading this one after having read at least the three first books of the Mortal Instruments. So, Mortal, uh, so City of Bones, City of Ashes and City of Glass. You can of course read the whole series but I would recommend to read the Clockwork Trilogy after reading these three books and then finishing up the uh, Mortal Instruments, because there are certain characters and things you have to know in between, so that would be the best point. So um, he was following the trail and then has found Tessa in there, and the sisters are kind of following them while they run deeper and deeper into the house, and eventually they land in a room full of dead bodies. From this room, they uh, will finally escape in the end after a certain fight in the room. As I've said, it's full of dead bodies um, and there are also certain mechanic devices that will come into play later because of who has built them. And uh, But then the wall collapses and two men help them out. These men are Henry. Who I will describe later because we meet him again and Thomas. We don't know his name yet. We only hear Henry's name But uh, he does become important Then we also find out why the sisters always wear gloves Because apparently they have claws We see one of them have claws and they also know that Will is a Nephilim, a shadow hunter which Tessa of course doesn't know what it is, but uh so this will later feature into her kind of distrust for the Nephilim since she doesn't know about their world and thinks they are mad. So as I've said, Henry collapses the wall of the collapses the wall of this room and Tessa is rendered unconscious in the fight. But before she does participate and grabs something from one of these tables full of dead bodies and it is another instance where we see her actually standing up for herself and being a fighting nature. Which, at least to me, is very sympathetic. Because, I mean, who actually likes a damsel in distress? Those are, can be very annoying. If, no, if someone has literally no uh, kind of skill to stand up for themselves, you don't even need skill, you just need the will to fight. So, um, then Tessa wakes up again in the London Institute after a very vivid nightmare. And we meet brother Enoch. Who also is a very important character. And he's a silent brother. I have talked about them before. And they are kind of, to say it again. They wear parchment robes. And they are kind of, not a cult. But they are a certain group of the shadow hunters. It can only be males. And they live for a very long time. They're kind of the healers. They don't have eyes. And their mouths are soon shut. They only talk through... The mind, so you hear them in your mind talking and they can control who can hear them and who can't. But of course, since they don't have eyes and have their mouth sewn shut, which Tessa just has never seen in her life, uh, he looks like a monster to her. And that scares her, of course. In general, all these new things I can imagine would be very scary for her. And she is enduring them very bravely, but she also has been through hell over the course of the last six weeks so it is kind of it is kind of um, admirable how brave she's being through all of this and everything for her brother she's just remember she's doing all of this for her brother so brother Enoch and Charlotte who is the other person in the room and Charlotte I will introduce now uh, the only thing said about her is that she is uh, child size so very small Um, She has dark hair and dark eyes, but also she is the wife of Henry who we've met earlier Henry Branwell who is a red-haired Kind of clumsy little genius because uh, he's a scientist which is pretty uncommon for Shadowhunters and uh, that will that that does cause some uh, Problems with the Shadowhunter community because they think he's a fool but uh, he is actually The one, and that is a little spoiler, who with the help of Magnus Bane invented uh, the portal, which I have probably mentioned before. So without him, Shadowhunters would probably have to use um, several airlines to get to other institutes or to fight in a war. Instead they can, with the help of a warlock or even a rune, just open a portal. Which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. And there's... So much more that he does for them, but he's still just seen as a kind of idiot because he's pretty clumsy. He's um, fast to fall into daydreams and things like that. It is kind of sad. So Charles and Brother Enoch explain to explain to Tessa what is kind of going on. And that and they're trying to find out what kind of downworld she is. Because as it turns out, Brother Enoch can conclude that Tessa is not human. But he does not know what she is. They think she's probably a warlock, which we know she is partly, um, as I have mentioned last uh, episode. But uh, they can't find a warlock's mark on her, which is, as I've said, what identifies people as warlocks. So, for example, green skin, hor- horns, um, things like that, or Magnus's cat eyes. Those are all kind of uh, warlock marks so uh then brother enoch leaves the room after talking to tessa for a bit and charlotte kind of then takes over telling tessa more about shadow hunters where she is tessa asks for will because he's the only one that she actually knows there but um also and that is an interesting thing why i also like these books that are kind of set in that era because she feels bad for calling him will which is his christian given name or something they use that term it is his first name uh, and that would employ an intimacy that isn't actually there and all in all these kind of old traditions and formalities that are in these books but the shadow hunters only respect to a certain degree uh, for me a very interesting aspect of these books because uh, it's just brings a whole another touch to their world like you when you have books that are in our modern world you know how to navigate it You know that there is no um, code you have to respect or things like that. But back then everything was so complicated. I mean, even trying in her newest books and book and I think also in this one, there are several scenes where women have to fight in these uh, elaborate dresses because you can't switch into gear that easily. Which picture that now when you just, most uh, girls would just wear jeans and the hoodie or something. So you can super easily just do that. And I picture that being just kind of an extra problem for them. But they overcome that and are still so badass as they are later in time. And it's just awesome. So she also tells her that they couldn't find her brother. Charlotte tells her that. But they did find her letters and read them. Which is again later a point that I'm not getting into. Um, she also explains, like I said, more about Shadow Hunters, and she wants her, she wants Tessa to know that she can trust them, and that more people like Emma have been vanishing, which is how they got onto her trail. So um, Tessa is kind of cautious because, of course, like I said, she has just endured hell. Also, I noticed that I said, like I said, a lot. Yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. No, but she has just endured hell. And she thinks that they just want her for her powers and that she will need to use them again. But uh, Charles explains to her that it is kind of a hunter's duty if a downworlder is in need of help to help them. And since Tessa was just classified as a downworlder, they have to help her. What does this help mean? It basically means that uh, she can stay there for a moment. So um, that she can kind of settle in, calm down from what happened. But also because she promises that they're still searching for her brother. Um, that Tessa can stay as long as the investigation is going on. So and then next we meet their kind of housemaid servant, called Sophie. She, um, she's described as generally a pretty woman. Uh, she has brown hair and I don't remember her eye color right now. But what is striking about her looks is that, and it makes Tessa kind of flinch back, which is why Sophie doesn't like her in the first moment, but Sophie has a big scar kind of marking her face, just across her face, and she got that from a previous employer who um, was trying to, make a sexual advan- uh, to take sexual advantage of her, and she defended herself, so he... Slice her across the face as you apparently do if you try to rape your servant and they don't want to Who would so yeah, but she's a badass of a woman. I love her and she's great. So uh, Charlotte um, as I've said is one of the Better shadow hunters have I said that she's one of the good shadow hunters because I've talked time and time again about shadow hunter politics and she is uh, one of the shadow hunters that doesn't discriminate against downwarders, which already is something, especially around 18, whenever this was again. I have to say, I recorded the first part of this yesterday, so I have no recollection of what I've said, except what I've re listened to to know where I left off. Little will uh, look into the background of this happening. So, yes. Then, at next, Tessa gets left behind with Sophie, who is supposed to help her into a dress so that they can go to dinner. We meet other characters that live at the Institute. And uh, someone who we haven't met yet at all is Jasmine Lovelace. She's so complicated. So, Jasmine Lovelace is blonde, hazel-eyed, a bit vain, and she absolutely hates being a hunted doesn't have any marks that we can see at least that Tessa can see and she's extremely offensive and direct Uh, so when Tessa sits down she kind of asks her what's it like being evil what do you think Satan is like but Tessa doesn't let anyone give her any crap and she's like "Um, I can summon him right here on the spot if you want and they're just kind of hating on each other because Jasmine is just extremely (sighs) Direct and offensive to her as a shadow hunter, so she kind of has these stereotypes, and just a general Jasmine hates everyone. So then Henry comes in with his arm on fire, and Will throws a water at him, which is just kind of a summary of that shadow hunter family in the Institute because they're all a disaster. They're all kind of geniuses on their own, but put together, you have a disaster. It's great. They are one collective disaster family, so yes, um, Harry is happy about that because he was trying to make a fire repellent for his clothes, as far as I remember, and so uh, this material on his arm is almost, almost not burned, so just a little bit, even though it has been burning for a while, and he hasn't noticed. So then he contemplates setting himself on fire, uh, vil- willingly, but uh, <laughs> Charlie threatens him uh, with a, with a divorce, and so he doesn't do it. But he probably sets himself on fire accidentally often enough. Like I said, he's a bit clumsy, but he's a sweetheart of a man, which we will, uh, which I will get into in a moment. So Jem, who we've met before, James, James Costas, is... is should normally be there because he lives there too but he isn't because and that's the first instance where we kind of see that he's seems to be unwell he has had, he's having what they call one of his days so jessamine keeps being rude to tessa and tells her yeah you're just a liar who wants charity you just want to live here you're probably not even a downworlder and uh, what are your kind of powers if you even have them so Tessa asks her for one of her rings, which Jasmine says she will probably steal, and turns into Jasmine right there at the table. So everybody's then kind of fascinated and asks questions, thus further further showing that it is highly unusual that she has this power, and I can already tell you that she's the only person who in history of the world has had this ability and will have had this ability because, um, and this book goes into that later, it, either this book or next one, because it is, uh, someone went to great length to uh, make sure that she exists, because it is very complicated, her heritage and everything. So yes, that gets kind of enough for her, and now I want to talk about Jasmine though for a moment, because Jasmine, when Henry has this little accident, calls him an idiot, and it's just all the time really res- disrespectful to everyone so i kind of have a hate love kind of have a hate love relationship with jessamine so on one hand she later does things that i admire and that have been really called for and she is part of the reason even i will not explain why but she is part of the reason that later in the model instruments the london institute survives a big so I have a big, big attack. Yes, that is several years later, several dozens of years. And I will not get into how that's possible, but it is possible. And some some probably know or can guess what it is, but not getting into that. So, but in this time, she's just, she's, let's say like it is, she's a brat, but So she's disrespectful to everyone, she calls Harry an idiot, she's uh, discriminatory against Tessa because of her downworldly heritage and just everything. She's basically mean to everyone who's a Shadowhunter and that is the point because um, Lovelaces are kind of a special family in that whole Shadowhunter ensemble because we only meet one other character who's a Lovelace in... um, Tales of the Shadowhunter Academy, we meet George Lovelace, a sweetheart of a human, and uh, I recommend reading that book because only just for him. The book is great too, because he's just absolutely adorable, but uh, the Lovelaces never wanted to be Shadowhunters. So Jasmine wanted to be a normal lady as everyone else, and, but when her parents died, she got taken in by the Institute, so she kind of has to be there apparently then you couldn't just get your mark stripe which I think you can do in the newer ones but I'm not sure but yes she absolutely hates being there she has her own money she could technically leave and she has a huge inheritance from her family but she has to stay there because of her blood and she absolutely doesn't want to she hates everything about being a shadow hunter from fighting through demons to that Child later says, "You're Shadowhunter first, and a lady second. And that just infuriates her so much, and also makes her hate, though. And I kind of can understand that, but it doesn't, but it doesn't um, say anything against her hate. For that doesn't give her the right to hate on the people who are just trying to give her a home. I mean, Child and Henry are two of my absolutely favorite characters. Because um, even when they didn't have their own children, I can tell you they later on have their own children. Um, even when they don't have their own children, these people that, are, that live there are like their children. And it's complicated and everything. The whole family is, like I said, a disaster. But they're there for each other and they try to help as best as they can. And of course, they, they are no... Um, and of course, they're nothing against her parents, and she has the right to miss them, but that doesn't give her the right to be that disrespectful to everyone there. And like I said, I get why she hates being a shadow hunter, because her, her whole family hates that, and she kind of grew up with this mindset. She didn't grow up uh, for, with a love for everything that is happening there. She is a badass, I can tell you that. She can fight, but she doesn't want to, and I. why in her certain specific uh, I get that in her specific moment because she is a character that it fits to and we see it time and time again that her about her character motivation it just doesn't mean that you can be such an and excuse my words please asshole to the people who are just trying to help you so for the last part of this kind of analysis before I go into the general description and if I would recommend it or not, I think it's pretty obvious what I'm going to say. We're going to get into after dinner because uh, in the last moment we will also meet our last important character. Well, not last important character, but one of the last important characters that comes in the beginning of the book. So after dinner Tessa kind of gets lost back on the way to her room and will kind of picks her up and they go they wander a bit around the institute he tells her about it we learned that tessa hates chocolate which apparently is a great offense to will and they meet the cook agatha who's just so adorable she's great and um, the institute has several like special rooms a drawing room a music room a weapons room we know that it has a trainings room because each and every institute we've met before has had one. We also meet Thomas, who is another servant whose family has been the servant for the institute for years and years to come. And he also receives shadow hunter training, which is why, actually, when they were rescued from the Dark Sisters' house, he was there alongside Henry. He's the man who wasn't mentioned by name. So next, because when Will rescues Tessa, she wants to take, take her books, but he prom- has promised her that he will get her more books. They get to the library, which does ab- sound absolutely beautiful, and i love to go there. In general, books are a very important thing for these stories, So for, especially for this series and the series chronologically playing after that, that has just started with Chain of Gold last hours because the characters there are are all huge bookworms and also Tessa herself says One must always be careful of books and what is inside them for words have the power to change us and I believe that to be true, not everyone does but it is a, a very important point in their series and they connect over books, especially Tessa and Will so this is followed by a bit more talking and we learn a bit about Will until Tessa then eventually goes to bed and starts reading the Shadowhunter Codex, which we of course have discussed, and Will has given it to her to learn about the Shadowhunters, since she obviously has questions. She falls asleep, but gets uh, woken up by a kind of music that also invades her dreams. Music of a violin. So she follows that music, and this is how we again meet Jem. So James, Jem, like I've said, he's from... Shanghai, that's what we learn now, and Will has apparently told Tessa that, that um, Jem's parents have been killed by demons. So this is not what they're getting into now, but I will tell you that. So there was this, I'm not sure if it was a greater demon, but it was a pretty dangerous demon who kind of kidnapped her, his parents and killed them, and also uh, poisoned him with a drug called Ying Fen. So now, thanks to that demon, he is the peso gem is now dependent on that drug. He made him kind of addicted to it, but it alters his lifespan, and it is also the reason that his hair, and eyes, and everything are so white. That comes from the Ying Fen, which is uh, also an important point because he could practically die at any moment. Also, him having one of his days means he was too weak to leave his room because of the ying fan. And also the scene ends with him spitting blood and Tessa not knowing what's going on, and that is because of the because of uh, ying fan. So they talk a bit, get to know each other, and then it's basically the next day after. So Will interrupts them, and Jem has this attack that I've mentioned where he spits blood, and Tessa doesn't know what is Happening, but um, they talk about him needing something which is leaking and Fen. and Tessa gets basically shooed out of the room and Yes, yeah, so the next day Tessa and Jessamine. So Jessamine's actually supposed to look through some papers But she says no lady doesn't read the paper Yeah, maybe the gossip pages, but that's it. So Tessa and Jessamine leave to buy Tessa some new dresses and for the first time Tessa also sees the downworld because through being a downworlder she does not have the sight but uh, she probably because she hasn't unlocked her powers she has never before noticed it so she sees someone with different colored skin and i don't mean black with like she sees someone with i think i think blue or green skin probably not Ragnar but one there is dream so they walk from shop to shop and just kind of Jasmine is dazzling everyone, and is telling different stories about who she is everywhere, and people can't treat her can't treat her fast enough and help her, because um, she looks like she's rich and she of course is, and she's just kind of being a proper lady and everything. People are not even noticing Tessa, but that does go. It goes okay, so. Um, Tessa is really a big fan of Jessamine, obviously, because she has discriminated her since they have known each other. But she tries and is nice to her and they do, in my opinion, connect a bit. So while that is going on, Charlotte and the other shadow hunters are setting out to follow certain leads. So Charlotte and Henry are on the way to talk to Axel Mortmain, who was the employer of Tessa's brother. And... They set out to follow that to investigate, while Will and Jem go back to the dark house where Tessa had been kept and investigate there. So, and that is the last point that I'm getting into. Charlotte and Henry meet Axel Mortmain, who's a, who's described as a small, energetic, rich man who loves to travel. But I have to say that there is something fishy about him. Not just because he knows that there are shadow hunters, just in general, he seems to know a bit too much about their world and... Charlotte and Henry say they are Nate's cousins. I think Mort May knows that that is not true. So just in general, I probably time and time again said that I absolutely love these books. They are some of my favorite Shadowhunter books, especially from the kind of original ones, which I which uh, I have named the first two series, so Mortal Instruments and Infernal Devices. This, of course, being the Infernal Devices series. It is... To me, uh, absolutely beautiful. The characters are so amazing. Their whole world and their story, even though it sometimes is similar to uh, to the model Instruments, because we again have a character as a main character who doesn't know anything about the Shadowhunter world, but kind of fits into it through a special thing about them, just that this time it isn't that she's secretly Shadowhunter and the daughter of some... Uh, famous racist but um something else completely and just also that different time period and everything just make it really appealing to me and yes i've absolutely adored these books and re-listening to it was a joy of I've, I've laughed. it's beautiful so i can recommend it to everyone especially during this whole quarantine time everyone knows uh, needs some joy in their life even crying can be joy so i so I can absolutely recommend these books. There is still this going on. I will put the link in the description again with script. As far as I know, you can still sign up for the 30-day free thing. I've used it time and time again, not only to listen to this book, but several others. And it is absolutely great. And I can really recommend it. So yes, all in all, to a conclusion, I love these books. And I think you would too. And they're just absolutely adoringly beautiful. And I hope you're all still staying happy and healthy. Everything is not getting to you too much. And you're not going crazy at home like I am currently. And I wish you all the best. So, of course, always interact with me on social media. I'm still asking about these uh, kind of... I'm still asking about about what I've mentioned last week with my stats. Where people mainly from also India and Taiwan and kind of are listening to me. So I, again, am calling for you to please tell me how you find found my podcast because I find it very interesting. But yeah, with that, I would conclude this episode and we will see each other again to a normal episode next Monday. I will have by now posted the April topic announcement so you can listen to that to know what is going to happen over the next month and everything will kind of go back to normal but this basically uh, is a kind of special episode but also a normal episode since I just didn't have the time to put it in earlier and it will conclude March it has been a joy for the first month and I'm definitely going to um, go farther with this podcast and I hope you will join me on that kind of journey goodbye